Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the world's first science fiction novel, Frankenstein, or, The Modern Prometheus. In reality, looking at this novel through modern eyes, the science is imprecise. So, why does it still stand as the first work of science fiction? This is primarily due to the novel's central premise, the scientific attempt to unlock the secrets of life through experiment, leading to the creation of artificial humans. This scenario established a fundamental paradigm for later science fiction stories. These required a science-based fantasy setting and needed to include aspects such as technological devices, unknown civilizations, or scientific events. All these elements have subsequently become common features of the genre. Critical thinking about technology is also at the core of the novel. This type of thought has since become a key theme in science fiction. In Frankenstein, Shelley tells us that going too far with science and pursuing inquiry to the point of obsession can lead to disaster. Frankenstein, the scientist, the novel's protagonist, crosses the bridge between life and death, commanding the ability to create life. However, he lacks the strength of character to take responsibility for the life he has created. The message is that when out of control, free of the constraint, and of ethical and moral considerations, technology can eventually become a sharpened blade that harms both the scientist and humanity as a whole. Frankenstein is, of course, above all more a prophecy than a parable. Scientific and technological developments are Mary Shelley's concern. She speculates regarding science's development and reflects on the tension between technological capacity and human morality. Even after 200 years, her thoughts continue to serve as a warning today. The story has a timeless charm, and merits repeated reading. We will consider the effect of the novel from three viewpoints. Part 1, The Plot. Part 2, The Novel's Artistic Features. Part 3, Probing the Book's Thematic Complexity. The novel begins with an account of the exploits of Robert Walton, an Arctic explorer. His adventures are presented to the reader in the form of four letters. From the letters, we can discern that this young man longs for companionship, and that he is determined to conquer nature, even at the cost of his life. In the first three letters, we learn that Walton's voyage is proceeding as planned. But in the fourth letter, adversity besets the smooth running of the adventure when Walton and his crew are trapped by floating ice. They have to stay where they are, waiting for the ice to melt and break up. At about two o'clock in the afternoon, a mist clears, and the crew can see dogs pulling sledges northward on the ice, about half a mile away. The man driving the sledge attracts the crew's attention. This figure's shape is humanoid, but he is exceptionally tall. To the crew, he seems more like a monster than an average person. The company of sailors are surprised. They keep an eye on the monster's movements. While the ship remains trapped in the ice, it is impossible for them to track him down. The following morning, the sky is gray. They see a second sledge coming. On this occasion, a regular man is the driver. Eventually, he slides up to the boat on the ice. This poor man is extremely weak, exhausted, and nearly frozen. When he learns that the ship is bound for the North Pole, he agrees to come on board. After some time together, Walton gradually gains the stranger's confidence. Then, when the two men are talking about exploration, suddenly, when Walton shares his desire to tame nature at all costs, his guest, on hearing this, puts his face in his hands and weeps. After a long pause, 
he asks, unhappy man, do you share my madness? In order to deter Walton from following in his own disastrous footsteps, the guest agrees to tell him about his own experiences, a story as strange and terrifying as a storm. At this moment in the book, the narration shifts from Walton to this stranger whose name is Victor Frankenstein. Frankenstein comes from a celebrated family in Geneva. His parents are kind. They adopt an orphan named Elizabeth, in addition to raising Frankenstein and his two brothers. The boys refer to Elizabeth as their cousin. From an early age, Frankenstein exhibits a thirst for knowledge, especially a yearning to explore the mysteries of heaven and earth. By nature, he is a loner, but with one intimate friend, Henry Clerville. Clerville is an adventurer, generous, gentle, proud, and benevolent. With a supportive family and a good friend, naturally, Frankenstein enjoys a happy childhood. But, a single wrong step brings misfortune. At age 13, Frankenstein goes on a trip with his parents. On this visit, he encounters the works of Cornelius Agrippa, a German mystic, and he becomes interested in the ancient sciences and phenomena like the Philosopher's Stone, the Elixir of Life, and the methods of summoning ghosts or devils. From that point on, without hesitation, he becomes a faithful believer in the dark arts. At the age of 17, his mother dies. Afterwards, Frankenstein leaves to study at the University of Ingolstadt in Germany. Following his arrival at this sanctuary of modern science, as many of the professors emphasize the impracticality of ancient scholars, Frankenstein's desire to explore their approaches only grows more intense. He is determined to forge a new path in natural science, to reveal the mystery of life itself to the world. Passionately, the young man begins to devote himself to the study of natural science, committing every waking hour, day and night, to this pursuit. With his particular interest in the origin of life, he forgets to eat and neglects to rest. He spends his days and nights in tombs and morgues. He observes how flesh decays, studying how maggots eat away brains, examining life and analyzing the causes and details of death. His fanatical research continues, until one day, a flash of lightning pierces the darkness of his thoughts, tearing through the fog that had been haunting his mind. In this flash, Frankenstein learns the secret to bringing the dead back to life. In his excitement, he forgets his morality. Obsessively, he visits tombs and graves, collects bones, and tortures animals. He is unable to stop doing these cruel things. Finally, at one o'clock on a gloomy night, as the rain beats against the windows and the dying candles flicker, the body he had made out of various body parts opens its eyes. What kind of life is this? The figure is tall, about eight feet. The monster's yellow skin barely covers the muscles and blood vessels beneath. The dull, pale yellow eyes are set into a withered face. The hard, black lips are ghostly and hideous. Frankenstein is terrified and disgusted by what he has created, and flees out the door. When, early the following morning, a troubled Frankenstein is wandering the streets, he happens to meet his former friend, Clerville, who has come to study in the town. Frankenstein takes his friend back to his house, all the while worried that the monster will suddenly loom up in front of him. Discovering that the monster has escaped, to his friend's horror, the anxiety causes Frankenstein to collapse in a faint. When he wakes up again, Frankenstein finds himself confined in a hospital room with a nervous fever. Clerval takes good care of his old friend during Frankenstein's several months in hospital. He nurses Frankenstein back to life. But, it is clear that Frankenstein's environment has become a breeding ground for fear. 
he constantly worries that the monster will someday return to find him. Everyone will discover that he created an abomination. So, Frankenstein decides to return to his family. But, before he has time to leave, he encounters further misfortune. His father writes that his youngest brother, William, has been strangled. Frankenstein hurries home, deeply upset. However, he does not realize that this is only the first small part of a miserable fate that awaits him. Traveling through the night, Frankenstein finally arrives in Geneva. He decides to visit the scene of his brother's murder. The thunder crashes, and the rain pounds down. A looming figure is illuminated by a flash of lightning. In horror, Frankenstein recognizes the monster. The monster's appearance near to the crime scene seems suspicious. Frankenstein suspects that the monster is William's murder. William was still a child, and other than this creature, how could anyone harm an innocent child? Frankenstein feels a sense of great remorse that he has caused his own brother's death by bringing this devil into the world. Frankenstein receives yet another piece of bad news when he gets home. The maid, Justine Moritz, whom Frankenstein grew up with, and who was like a sister to him has been arrested for the murder. Although he appeals for her release, she is unjustly tried and sentenced to death. Frankenstein is distraught. Dwelling on the death of his loved ones, he takes himself off to the countryside, hoping to find peace. One day, when Frankenstein is wandering in the Alps near his home, the monster appears again. Frankenstein approaches the creature, venting his anger. The monster looks bitter, contemptuous, and vicious. He denounces Frankenstein's cruelty to him and implores his creator to allow him to defend himself. At this point, the narrator of the story changes from Frankenstein to the monster he had created. After escaping from the lab, the monster went into the nearby forest. There he fed on berries and quenched his thirst from a stream. He cried with fear when the darkness fell at night and rejoiced at the sight of moonlight. The supply of food in the forest was soon gone. Leaving the forest, the monster arrived at a small village. He entered a farmhouse. Immediately, on catching sight of the monster, the owner screamed. In response, other villagers rushed out of their homes and beat the creature black and blue with stones. He fled to dwell in an abandoned hut. At least there was a roof over the monster's head, so he was content for a while. At this point in the monster's account, he becomes aware of his neighbors, an elderly blind father and his children. The monster senses his own ugliness in comparison to the attractive family. This causes him to feel sad and shameful. He envies the family's closeness, seeing that they care for one another day and night. He longs to be one of them, to be loved and supported, not feared and attacked. By observing his neighbors in secret, the monster learns a lot. For example, the monster stops stealing their food when he realizes that it causes them suffering. He even secretly begins to help them, chopping the wood and clearing the snow. When he discovers that they use sounds to communicate, he picks up their language. With his beloved neighbors, he learns to rejoice and mourn. He picks up their admirable qualities and gradually becoming gentle and soft-spoken. Later, from the neighbors the monster learns to read and write, and he begins to understand the intricacies of human society. However, the more he knows, the more he suffers due to his deformed ugliness. When he escaped from the lab, the monster took an item of Frankenstein's clothing. In its pocket, he found Frankenstein's journal, a record of his birth. His awareness of his origin makes his suffering even worse. Having learned to read, he senses the fear and contempt in his creator's words. 
he begins to resent Frankenstein for making him so ugly, so frightening, and so isolated, he curses the hateful day when I received life. But, there is still a glimmer of hope in the monster's heart that he can be accepted and loved. It all hinges on his neighbors, the people he calls his protectors. Their cheerful and tireless good nature is in his dreams. He begins to plan a meeting. Nevertheless, this makes him feel deeply uneasy. The monster finds an opportunity when the children are out of the house. He visits next door and appears before the elderly, blind father. He asks to be taken in by the old man. After hearing the monster's story, the old man quickly decides to help him. Unfortunately, at the last moment, the children unexpectedly return. They are so shocked by the monster's appearance, they automatically assume he must be attacking their father. They beat him out of the house, and move away that very night. Broken-hearted and despondent, the monster thinks of his creator, the only human who has a duty to pity him and make things right. So, he decides to go to the address in Frankenstein's journal. On his journey, the monster witnesses a young girl slip into a rapidly flowing river. He lunges out to save her. As he struggles to pull her to safety, her companion appears with a gun and shoots him. Wounded and in pain, the monster hides in the forest. When he recovers from his wound, he swears his determination to take his revenge on mankind. After two months of traveling, the monster arrives at the outskirts of Geneva. He runs into a cute little boy. He feels that perhaps the little chap could be his friend, he ought to be pure of mind, not yet predisposed to societal concepts of beauty and ugliness. However, when the child sees him, he covers his eyes and screams. He calls him a man-eating monster. He claims that his father is a government official, Alphonse Frankenstein, and he will severely punish him. The child struggles and swears. The more the monster hears, the more desperate he feels. He tries to shut the boy up, grabbing the child by the neck and eventually choking him to death. After strangling the child, the monster snatches a pendant from the child's chest and slips it into a woman's pocket. We all know the next part of that story. When William is found dead, the maid, Moritz, is unjustly sentenced for the crime. After the monster finishes recounting his story, he asks Frankenstein to create a female companion for him. Together, he claims they would live in the wilderness and leave all humans alone. Alternatively, he will run rampant, continue to do evil. For a moment Frankenstein hesitates, but eventually agrees to the deal and asks the monster not to hurt anyone else. He chooses a remote Scottish island as his secret base for creating the female monster. But now, unlike the obsessive state he was in the first time, Frankenstein loathes and fears the task at hand. One evening, as Frankenstein's work draws to a close, he begins to ponder the possible consequences. What if the new monster is more tyrannical and takes pleasure in killing people? What if the two monsters dislike each other and go their separate ways? Or, what if they fall in love and start having children? Frankenstein realizes that he cannot risk the safety of the human race. So, he takes the creature he has been making and tears it to pieces. The original monster is looking in through the window. When he sees what Frankenstein has done, he wails with despair and rage and runs away again. Later, in the darkness of night, the monster returns to ask Frankenstein why he had broken his word and destroyed his hope. Why do men get to have a partner, while he is alone? Why does he feel a wealth of tender emotions toward people, but all he gets in return is disgust or ridicule? He growls, I will be with you on your wedding night. Now, 
the monster begins to act out a vicious revenge. First, it kills Clerval. Frankenstein grieves, but he knows the nightmare is far from over. He keeps his pistol and dagger by his side, ready to fight the monster to the death. The monster finds an opportunity to strike, strangling his new wife, Elizabeth. Soon after hearing the news, his father dies from his grief as well. One after another, Frankenstein's relatives perish. Tormented by thoughts of revenge, he vows to avenge those he loved killed by the hands of the monster he created. He travels far and wide, searching for clues that might reveal the monster's location and where he will strike again. Thanks to the monster's conspicuous appearance, Frankenstein is not without leads. The monster deliberately leaves signs to keep Frankenstein's hope alive. He wants to prolong his torment, not give him the luxury of death from despair. Then, coming over the ice, Frankenstein meets Walton. It's September 9th, Frankenstein cannot go on much longer. Before he finally expires, he says that he hopes Walton can help him finish the task he had not been able to complete. He urges Walton to be satisfied with his accomplishment, and not be blindly ambitious like he has been. With this message, he closes his eyes forever. Just as Walton puts pen to paper to record Frankenstein's fantastical tale, an unusually large, disproportionately vulgar, and clumsy figure arrives at the side of the casket where Frankenstein's corpse has been laid to rest. The monster has come, and he lets out a terrible wail. The creature relates his own experience to Walton. He tell how he could not control the impulse of revenge. His revenge is compulsive, enacted again and again. Often he regrets his actions even as he's doing them. He describes himself as a fallen angel, loathing himself for his sins. He decides to make his way to the North Pole, where he will burn his detestable body in order to obtain peace for his soul. When he comes to the end of his account, as the ship breaks free of the ice and turns to make its way back home, the monster jumps overboard and disappears into the night. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.